You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! What's going on, Kristen? We are celebrating episode 101. 101. I wondered if you got me 101 Dalmatians. I got you 101 kisses. Okay. Is that good? That'll do. I would have taken any kind of dog. A lot. 101 of anything is a fair amount. Yeah. 101 podcast episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good amount. There you go. We'll release those instead of the hounds. We had our 100th episode last week, and we also had our anniversary, our eight-year wedding anniversary the same week. It was a good week of celebration, yeah. and we, I think, did a good job at making a point to celebrate. Yeah. We were in Annapolis Royal for the weekend, courtesy of friends of ours who let us stay at their Airbnb, but the town was just a blast. We had an awesome time in Annapolis Royal. We ate at all the food restaurants. We went to karaoke, went to an art opening. We went to a talk at the library. Yeah. <laughs> Our bartender at Annapolis Brewing was uh, just a nice guy. And then the next day we saw, oh, someone's giving a talk about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And, and we were, didn't have anything to do. So let's go up to the library to go to that. And it was our bartender from last <laughs> night giving the talk. So Bill Monk, great guy. Uh, we got his one of his books. And yeah, he did some major hikes, like six month long hikes off like 26 miles a day. Pretty, pretty intense stuff. And we recruited him to be a future podcast yes, guest. Yeah. Also an excuse to go back to Annapolis Royal. Yeah, great town. Great yeah. times. Yeah. So there you go. We kind of giggled at his dual role because that's often the case in small towns. You'll remember when we were in St. Pierre and Miquelon, our pilot who flew us over just th- also happened to be the festival organizer. And then we called a cab one night and it was the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Multi, multi-faceted skill sets. Yeah, they make it work. Anyways, yeah, things were very uh, special in the last week. And we've special got another times. special guest again this week. Special they always episode, are. Mr. Steve Luxton. How did you meet Steve originally? Uh, well, I met him a number of years ago and I, I didn't put the pieces together, but he was out at a show in Toronto that we played at. Mm-hmm. He would have been working at, uh, I believe, well, a couple studios that he talks about in the episode, uh, Metalworks being one of them, where, and uh, he, he ended up marrying a girl from Mabu, who Bruce knew, who would have been from the same town as my bandmate Bruce. So, yeah, they came out to a show. And then years later, I guess he would have moved to the East Coast and just both being in the music scene, our paths crossed. He asked me to come do a talk at NSCC, where he teaches the music program in Sydney. Okay. Yes, I remember dropping you off at that building on one of our Cape Breton trips for you to do the talk. And I I hadn't met Steve at this point, but we didn't get into how you met him originally in the interview. So I wondered about that. Yeah, and I knew he was like a, a big studio guy and a guitar player. And I didn't know how good he was until... 
Well, we tell it in the episode. I, I hear him on a recording, and that recording is actually him hearing the songs for the very first time, which is incredibly impressive. He is an exceptional musician. I would say one of those humble guys that you you don't really know how talented they are until you take it upon yourself to go down the rabbit hole of their music because it's not something he's sitting home bragging about on his own. Yeah. So it was really, yeah, it was really special to hear some of his background and how he's arrived at this stage of being a teacher. I think if you're the teacher of something, it really speaks to your level of expertise that he's able now to pass along his wisdom and advice and experience to to young minds. Yeah, and this conversation was kind of getting to know him for the Really, for for on a deeper level, for the first time, and I thought he was just a an awesome dude, and looking forward to hanging out with him again. Yeah, and we also have a new segment: thoughts and things. Thoughts, thoughts and, and things. things. We're gonna we have to record a song now. <laughs> we did have other suggestions, as we've mentioned, for this segment, but we feel like thoughts and things really captures what we're going for. So this will be a weekly edition. And we chose this week's quote inspired by Steve and being a teacher. So I will read it here. This is a John Steinbeck quote, and it reads, Teaching might even be the greatest of the arts, since the medium is the human mind and spirit. Mm. I love this quote. What does that mean to you? As artists, we're often rethinking our medium. I certainly am as a visual artist. I like playing around. I like experimenting, things being tactile. The idea of the human mind and spirit being the medium that you're influencing, that you're manipulating, you're helping guide, uh, I think is, I agree with this. I think this is a really, really powerful statement. I hadn't thought about teaching necessarily as an art form yeah i think conversation i have you and i have talked about describing podcasting as the art of conversation yeah so i see teaching to some extent in that vein but i would say teaching as an art form not only in your style like steve would have his own style of teaching but knowing that the influence that you have is on someone's mind and spirit is pretty profound, the role that they play. Yeah. And when you have a good teacher, whether that's someone in school, like formally teaching you at an institution, or just someone you cross paths with and they just give you valuable information, it's an amazing thing. And in terms of like the actual school structure, I've had lots of very, very good teachers haven't had a lot of like ones that just blew my mind, but when you did come across one, it was just kind of life changing. It's funny you mentioned that because as you were talking and reflecting on the role of the classic teacher that we might think of, you you might think of elementary or high school, and I had that same experience. There, not to say I didn't have great teachers, but there was nobody that sto- stood out in this profound way. But I. In my adult life, and certainly as an artist, I would say have had more mentors mm-hmm. who are ultimately teachers, but people that I look to who do exactly what this quote is saying. They're impacting my mind and my spirit. They're not saying, go memorize all of these facts and I regurgitate them on a test and get an A, yeah. uh, which was the case in high school. I was a, quote, good student. I think I have become and grown into a better person because of the mentors and teachers I've had as an adult who 
teach me the importance of being a a good person, knowing myself, being confident in myself is also what makes me a great artist. And you and I are both self-taught. So I think there has to be an element of self that you tap into before the skill and technique really becomes relevant. Yeah, and being your own teacher is another interesting topic we could go down in a, mm-hmm. another episode maybe. But yeah, that, that's a really nice quote. And I think it really applies to Steve. And I would imagine that he is a, a great teacher. I, I gave the talk in his class and he was there kind of just uh, guiding things along. And he has a really good rapport with the students and just, yeah, he he's he's very smart and very knowledgeable in what he's doing. So he's able to able to give this all back to these young minds and shape them in a in a beautiful way. We do talk a bit in this conversation about how he approaches his teaching style or or common things that students come to him looking for. Uh, so I really enjoyed that part of the conversation and and had him really reflect on how he shows up in a classroom and the openness to where some of these young minds might have interest in the industry. Some might want to be a musician. Others might want to get into management or producing. And he's there. Yeah. He's showing up for all of that. So yeah. he's he's pretty diverse in his skill set. He is for sure. So yeah. let's jump in. And, uh, and we're sh- playing some of his music at the end of this episode. Yes, yes. As long as I get that track from him. Okay. Uh, well, I have confidence this is going to come through. <laughs> yeah. This is part of our log- behind the scenes logistics. Yeah. But... Uh, that's the plan is we're going to play some of some of Steve's music. So you'll get to see or hear, sorry, his skills on the guitar. And uh, he's also a talented singer songwriter. He was up yeah. in Halifax for a songwriter circle when we recorded this episode. So just a huge shout out to, to Steve Luxton. Thank you so much for being here in the studio and uh, sharing this great chat. Okay, let's jump right into it. Kristen Ray Harrington, episode 101 with the amazing Steve Luxton. Every Black Friday, the plugs go on sale. Oh, that's a dangerous that's time That's a big year. discussion, yeah. Yeah. But it's always, it's like the Canadian tire effect where it's like, oh, regular $12,000 on sale for two ninety nine, and who knows what they're worth, but well, that's what gets yeah, you. There are usually pretty good deals on Black Friday for plug-ins. Last one I took advantage of was the X8P, and it came with the uh, Townsend Sphere. Uh, modeling mic, which, okay. which is pretty sweet. It's actually yeah. like I'm wasn't too big into the modeling stuff at first, but they won me over with that mic. It's pretty solid. Mm. It, is that has that become like a go to mic? It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I used I've used it on vocals a couple times. Yeah, I mean I haven't had like a project where I could really test it out. Yeah, we did vocals for Steve McIntyre's upcoming album with that microphone though. Yeah. And I used, I think, like a U67 emulation, which was really nice for, yeah. for his voice. Is your home base for recording at NSCC where you're teaching, or do you have separate? No, I got a separate setup for that. They do have a pretty, we have a, we have a pretty sweet setup at the school, which is great for the students to get an opportunity to learn how to do some demos. Yeah. And we're leaning into that even more moving forward. But my home setup is completely separate. It's running some of the same gear just because it's like familiar and it's nice to be able to teach on stuff that you know Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i've got my own little studio at home not too dissimilar to this it's just in a basement yeah Yeah. 
the chaos of Mike's studio. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. You've been creative with your baffling. Yeah. Well, of... some of it's baffling, some of it's just decorative. But the the hats just everywhere kind of act as a little bit of a diffuser. So oh, a yeah. friend of ours for our wedding gifted us with 60 hats or something random <laughs> like no no card with it no they just arrived in the mail this box of hats and now they're spread out around Mike's studio for those that are only listening and uh yeah access sound absorption and decor it's kind of symbolic nowadays like the modern entrepreneur has to wear so many different hats <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true yeah. <laughs> yeah we've got my co-op hat my <laughs> Maybe you should assign hats for different projects, and that's how the you thing, keep yourself organized. The thing, though, is I have all these hats, but most of them don't actually fit my <laughs> head. I have a giant head. Like I, I, growing up, like I never really knew it, but uh, once I became an adult, I and I and I collected hats my whole life. They just stopped fitting my head. So I have like probably hundred hats, and four fit me good. I don't know what that, that means. That big old brain of yours, <laughs> yeah, huh? Yeah. My brain just keeps getting too big. I just casually put out there. <laughs> I'm getting too smart, dude. Uh. No, my skull's getting thicker, my brain shrinking, if anything. Mm. But Steve, uh, you you grew up in Ontario? Ontario, yeah. yeah. On the move, too. Like so My, my mom, uh, she was kind of always moving around. We moved like 16 times before 16. I graduated high school. Whoa. Yeah. What did she do? whatever she could she yeah single mom four kids and just yeah. kind of running around and uh yeah so we just uh went from place to place it was cool learned a lot about uh people in general and learning how to just kind of find your groove in a new town and also found that people are pretty similar everywhere people are people was that uh, stressful as a kid or were you just used to it or just it was, just the normal life yeah. that's just the normal yeah, yeah. so uh it was kind of just part of, I thought everybody had something similar, right? Yeah. It's not really until you're older that you start to look back on those things and be like, oh, that was kind of a unique experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, w I wouldn't change it though. It's a it would really give you a different skill set as an adult, I imagine too, just being able to interact with whoever you encounter. You've done it so many times. Yeah. You get really good at first impressions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's the long term that maybe isn't always quite yeah. as graceful. What was the longest stint that you would have spent at a school? I did all of high school in one spot mm -hmm. and I uh, did my, the second half of grade eight in that same spot. So it was about four and a half years we stayed there. And then afterwards, and my family actually stuck around there and I took off after school and I just was like, I'm going to go to the city and learn how to become a hotshot record producer <laughs> yeah. and uh, have a pop hit that I've recorded myself with my own music. You know, wanting to be a rock star, the yeah, young, yeah. kind of naive uh, And that's dreams. what happened, more or less. Oh, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. When when uh, you were moving around, were you playing any music? I didn't start playing music till I was like 13 years old. So it was kind of when I finally got settled that I was yeah. like, when we finally moved into, it was Wyoming, Ontario, which was a great place to grow up. Yeah. 2,000 people farms everywhere it was it was beautiful that's kind of when i picked up the guitar whenever i was uh i got a drum set first yeah my uncle al gave me an old pearl drum kit that i put in the garage and played along to all the acdc records yeah you know but yeah and then i started i started playing music around then what were your influences at the time what were you listening to Jeez, it was uh acdc was a big part of me growing yeah. up but before that i was really into hip-hop before i started playing music oh, yeah? like i 
like old D12 and Eminem, Biggie. Like I listen to a lot. A Did lot. you try to rap yourself? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure somebody like in my family might be able to elaborate on that. But not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> That'd be a fun recording to deep dig up. <laughs> yeah. We were really into hip hop too, where I came from or where I grew up, which was really small town and. I question now because we have so much exposure to a variety of music, how we even came across some of these subgenres. Columbia House. Maybe. Yeah, and probably like films. I feel like when I was a kid, like you didn't have access to a car if you lived in the country to drive to HMV or whatever the CD store was at the time. So you kind of just like got exposed by film media, you know, whatever was TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah. TV, whatever was in the movies. Like, yeah. uh, I remember. You guys ever get like your, uh, like the movie of the summer had like a soundtrack that came out, like the yeah. American Pie soundtrack, you know? And you got like Empire some Records was a big one. That was a good one. Yeah. Empire Records is classic. Yeah. Uh, what was the Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> was the kid soundtrack? That was big. Remember that I movie? I remember that film. I don't remember the soundtrack for it, but there could have been. There's a. There's a few, yeah. That I guess it's hard to remember how we really, really found anything. I don't know how old are you, Steve. I am thirty-two. So you're a little younger than us, but you probably would have felt the same experience of uh, trying to discover new things. But I remember growing up, just all of a sudden, you everyone would just hear the same band or listen to them all at the same time. And I don't really know how that happened, but I guess like you're saying, maybe, maybe film, TV. Mm. For me, it was that or, or whatever my, whatever my mom was listening to. Yeah. yeah. My, my mom was a diehard, like eighties hair metal fan. Oh, yeah. So like I grew up listening to like extreme. Your and, mom sounds awesome. And scorpions, you know? <laughs> so like, uh, oh, I knew every word to here I am, rock me like a hurricane. Yeah, so I remember a student moving to our school and was in our grade. We became friends and she had a much more versatile music collection than we had at the time. And her talking about one of her favorite bands was The Stones. And I didn't translate that into The Rolling Stones. And I remember going to the record store and being like, do you guys have an album by The Stones? And they pull, pulled out all these Rolling Stones albums. And I was like, no. The Stones, uh, and then <laughs> them probably thinking like she has no fucking clue, and I didn't. But uh, I never ended up with either album. <laughs> I learned. Yes. I learned from her. Uh, well, did you feel embarrassed? I mean, it was probably a couple <laughs> years before I even pieced together my my mistake. Yeah. But yeah, I was just adamant that they didn't have what I was looking for. But Worst I still love shazamming a film and discovering music yeah. that way. Oh yeah. I think my journey with falling in love with uh, movie soundtracks was Hercules. You guys watch the Hercules movie as a no, <laughs> oh, no. Man. There are some awesome tracks on that on that movie. Jeez, like Zero to Hero or uh, what's the Find My Way. Anyways, yeah, we'll classic. check that. You guys should watch that movie. Yeah. For okay. me, that's like pure nostalgia. That and uh, there was another one at the tip of my tongue. Oh, Tarzan. Like the whatever <laughs> Phil Phil Collins, like that's oh, that was nice. how I got introduced to Phil Collins was uh, through uh, the Tarzan movie. Mm. Anyways, so like I still I stand by it. I think films played a big yeah, role, at least sure. for me. Anyways, do you still experience music the same way, listening to it as you did when you were younger? Well, I I think sometimes I think whenever I find a new song that I'm like really into, like for instance, the first time that I heard. 
uh, Davy Jones by Gordy Sampson. Yeah. Still one of my all-time favorite songs, but I I liked it so much that I just put it on repeat for like a week. Yeah. And I was the same way as a kid, even before I started playing music. If I found a song that like really moved me or like pulled me in, I just had to listen to it until I literally could not listen to it yeah. anymore. Mm. So in that respect, yeah. And then other times it's like if you... You know, if you're spending a whole day on a mix or mixing a project or recording something or just talking about music, sometimes you need to kind of just turn your music brain off and uh, I maybe don't interact the same way. Maybe put on talk radio or listen to a podcast, Yeah, you know? So in that way, it's changed a little bit. Do you feel as someone who studied music and how to how to make a song and all the intricacies of bringing a song to life. Do you feel that has taken a little bit of the magic away, like knowing how the sausage is made? Yes and no. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some, I'm going to stick with the sausage analogy, right? Yeah. So I guess you just, you start to appreciate the artistry that goes into making a really good sausage, yeah. you know, opposed yeah. to like the generic hot dog brand, you know, I, yeah. I mean, and there are some art artists out there that are considered gen- generic that are actually like top tier artisan like sausages. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like just because they're popular, they feel like they're they're generic. But yeah, yeah, there's there's some stuff. I guess my threshold for uh, trite uh, reoccurring like bass drops and stuff might be lower, you know, than. Uh, mm. It would have been if I didn't study music, but yeah. for the most part, the magic is is alive and well. Just when you listen to a song for the first time, separating your knowledge of it, do you are you first listening to the lyrics or the melody or how it feels in your body? Like what what are you most attracted to the first listen? That's a really good question, and I guess it really depends on my perspective going into the song. Like I guess you, you kind of get these like. You probably shouldn't, but we we do as listeners. We get these preconceived notions of what it is we're going to be listening to before we listen to it based on branding of an artist or what we've heard from an artist. And so I think their branding is telling me what I should be looking for from the get-go. Now, if it's something that I've never heard before, it's kind of, it could be anything, really. A lot of the times, like the bass line is a big thing for me. Like as a guitar player, I always thought I loved guitar so much. And then I went back after having studied music and was listening to all these records I really liked as a kid. And I was like, man, actually it was the, that's the bass line that I was really attracted mm. to because the guitar is just doing some like ding, ding, and it's, which is still groovy. It's adding a lot to the production, but like, it's really that bass line. Get, yeah. you, get you moving. Mm. But lyrics are super important to me too. I, I find that uh, somebody who can tell a story or uh, create like a really vivid image in your mind through words, it's beautiful. And I definitely appreciate that. You you finish high school in the same spot. You're playing guitar. Were you playing in any bands at the time? Yeah, so I I played in a couple bands in high school. I actually had a fake ID so I could play in the bars. <laughs> I played in some bar bands and uh, oh, you didn't do it the legal way. I I did it legally myself. You know, get the permission slip signed, have a chaperone. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. I don't know. If, I don't know if they had that. It was just a. Uh, we were a rock and roll band, so yeah. it was just it was more rock and roll to get a fake ID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a, totally. And it was just a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name here, yeah. but we kind of looked alike, and we had the same postal code, so it was easy to remember yeah. the address. But yeah, I played in a couple of like bar bands, a couple of rock and roll bands, and then a good friend of mine and I, we uh, 
had like a pop acoustic duo thing that we wrote music together and yeah. sang at the local coffee shops called Sunday Sounds Good. And uh, we ended up releasing something like a EP. It was like the first thing I ever recorded start to finish. Yeah. Kind of like you listen back to it now. You're like, oh, that's pretty good for like an 18 year old to do. But like, I wouldn't have done that or I'd change this. And oh, Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, I always look back. Even something I released two years ago, I'm like, oh, I would have did this different. Oh, so, yeah. It's like the next yeah. day, it's like, oh, why didn't I do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of the danger of all the technology we have at our disposal now. Yeah. It's like you could continue tweaking something forever. Yeah. Hi, friends of Mike and Kristen. My name is Nancy Regan, and it's a pleasure and privilege to be a sponsor of this podcast because I love the way these two creators show up. I spent a big chunk of my life on TV, projecting an air of confidence to an audience of more than a quarter million people. The spotlight lit me up, but the truth is, for most of that time, I didn't feel my own light. I was wearing a social mask to show the world I had it all together, even when I felt close to falling apart. The fear of failure haunted me because I didn't want anyone to know the secret I harbored, that I was not enough. Not smart enough, not talented enough, just not enough. The good news is I've left that lens behind. I traded in my inner imposter for a life of liberating authenticity. It hasn't been an easy path, but man, is it worth it. I share my story with a whopping dose of vulnerability in my book From Showing Off to Showing Up. As I see it, showing off is living a life according to the expectations of others, craving approval. Showing up is, here I am, take me or leave me. And the beautiful, gratifying, and deeply comforting result is that I've heard from hundreds of readers who say they see themselves in my story. If something about this resonates with you, come along for the journey. From Showing Off to Showing Up is available in paperback, ebook and now audiobook read by me of course i promise i'll show up will you how do you yeah how do you make decisions based on knowing that this idea of perfection is more possible and I, and i've heard some people who are producing music talk about it being imperfect is actually the sound they're going for so yeah how do you navigate that sound yeah i really just to uh depends on the project and i feel like it's i mean this sounds sounds like it might be tasteless to say but it's probably easier to do with somebody else's art than with your own mm-hmm. you know but one thing i'm i'm probably the wrong person to ask that question to too because i have a really hard time being okay with putting music or art out in the world it's like it's something that i got tons of music written and i'm always just like oh maybe it's not quite ready to do this with it and I'm happy just playing music with other people too. I do a lot of a lot of that. But I released an EP last year, and uh, at first I wasn't going to release it at all. And it was it was something I did for a school project, and uh, it was kind of live off the floor with maybe a couple overdubs here and there. And it was it was pretty good. Um, but it was like three years went by. We had COVID. We were all locked down. And then I listened to it again. I found myself listening to it. I was like, oh, you know, that was like a pretty cool moment. It was a pretty cool moment in time. And I think really when you're recording, you should be thinking about capturing that moment in time. Mm. And I, I can't really, I don't really have those people around me that I was playing with uh, as readily available I live across the country from one another. So it was like, 
Yeah, it's a special moment. And, you know, it might, it might not be perfect, but it's like a moment that uh, was important to me and it was worth sharing with other people, even if it's not something that I'm going to recreate entirely down the road. It's just kind of like sharing that moment. Welcome to this part of my life. You know? I love that. And that's all any recording in history time has ever been. It's this is who we were at this particular moment in time. This is all my knowledge summed up. The the mistakes, the imperfections, the the amazing parts. Like this is all all of what it becomes is an album in the end. And you could listen to I'm sure any album, like some of the most award winning albums of all time and someone would find something wrong with it, you know? Like there's imperfections out there that become maybe someone's favorite part of something also. Yeah, yeah. So I think a recording is yeah, this is the this particular moment in time summed up into thirty four minutes. Is yeah. that the point? Like are you conscious that this is the point of me creating this now? I think it should be the point. And it's hard to remember that. I think a big part of it is uh, there's so much external pressure on artists to release content and do all this and do it the certain way and have the brand that's going to inform people to be ready for the experience they're going to receive from your art, Yeah, which is all like, it is important stuff to be aware of. And uh, from a business perspective, I can understand why uh, people push that, but it's a, I think at the end of the day, it should come down to that moment in time. And if you're not doing everything else, honestly, to the moment in time that you're in, you're kind of, you're doing it in vain anyways. It should be, I think, uh, all surrounded around that. Mm -hmm. But it is hard to keep that focused goal. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there's other people out there that are much better at keeping that focus in mind than myself. It's something I'm just kind of learning late in life. And especially, it, it's especially hard if you're trying to survive off that art as well. Definitely, yeah. Like, you can't just say, my moment in time is going to pay my mortgage. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you have to be conscious of a lot of different things. and But that, I think, keeping that in part of your mind is, is important for sure because ultimately, like we said, that is what you're capturing. And, yeah, some other things may have to be considered, but... I, I see that as a really valuable tool yeah. as a creative person to like if somebody is kind of struggling to find their authentic voice or have a creative block, that is such a solid anchor to come back to. Just let's make something that's reflective of this moment in time or this day in my life. Yeah. And that's all songs are, too. And then when like like the song is just like capturing whatever you were feeling or the story you're wanting to tell at yeah. that moment. And then you each time you play it it's different right it's a different thing mm -hmm. so say you finish high school you're playing some bands and you want to go become a, a rock star what do you do next after that i had spent a lot of time building up like some facility on the instrument like i wanted to be like the i i went from that acdc phase into uh I got really into Ozzy Osbourne oh, for yeah. a bit, like Randy Rhodes. Like I, I liked classical music. I played saxophone in the concert band, and I got really into like classical music for a bit. And Randy had some influence from rock and roll, but classical stuff. Um, and then he had some blues in there that was just fascinating. And then I went to Stevie Ray Vaughan was kind of like the next in like the blues. And yeah. I fell in love with that. And then I kind of went back to like the everything, like folk writers and uh, '80s rock. And 80s rock led me to uh, Metalworks, 
which is owned by the drummer of the band Triumph, uh, Gilmore. And they have it's an amazing facility, really nice recording studio. Uh, but they had just recently launched a recording uh, program for like audio production engineering yeah. and uh, live sound production. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I drove up to Mississauga and uh, we checked out the facility and it was super nice. I'd never seen a large format console before. Yeah. And there was like six SSLs there and they had the, the SSL that uh, Prince recorded on and like nice. a whole bunch of other things. There's a really nice Neve in Studio One. And uh, I was just like, yeah, this is amazing. I got to go learn there. And so I went there and... Uh, and Pro Tools, which uh, I ended up falling in love with. The first time uh, I opened Pro Tools, I was so confused. I didn't know what to do with it. It was like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know anything about this. Um, I had done all my recording up to that point on like a Boss VR600, which is like yeah. a- I had the VR900. Oh, yeah. That was so, my first, yeah. Yeah, so I had the, the VR- <laughs> I know exactly what you guys are talking it's about. Like a little, it's like a little flat thing that kind of looks like, uh, not, like not much bigger than an iPad, at least mine was. Had some microphones built in and a couple line ins, and you could multi track it. It's kind of like a, a digital version of what the Beatles would use because you have to bounce your tracks down. And it had uh, like drum machines and stuff on it. So it got me introduced to some of the primary recording concepts, but I never worked in something like Pro Tools where it was just like visually there and I'd, I had no idea. So I was like frustrated, but also determined. And then when I went to school, they had a whole bunch of Pro Tools classes, and then I ended up. Uh, doing really well because I just I wanted to eat it all up I, yeah. I got a scholarship when I graduated and they paid for me to get uh, expert certified so when I was like 19 I was one of 10 people in Canada that was uh, like eligible to teach post-secondary for Pro Tools and I was Whoa. like 19 and so I was running all the when I graduated from Metalworks they hired me as a teaching assistant I was running all like the Pro Tools uh, study groups and like, on the Icon and stuff uh, which is like a giant physical manifestation of pro tools the the icon so it's like a 96 channel controller the one they had anyways it's pretty modular but you can control everything in pro tools from it down to, to editing mixing automation and uh, the outboard preamps for it was pretty cool pretty fascinating thing but i would run set of groups on that uh and then uh, i started working at a couple other studios too just to like interning um and then one studio that I was working at, Howell Studio in Oakville, Ontario, uh, they had some, I'm really into like soldering and electrical stuff too. Like I built my own guitar amp when I was 16. Nice. Um, out of like an old walkie talkie. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> cool. So I ripped, it's like a, sorry, I'm getting off topic here, but it's like an old army walkie talkie base station thing. And I ripped the circuit board out and built one in an electronics class. We had an assignment to make a circuit board and I was like, well, what if I, can I do this? And he's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, can you? Yeah, yeah. And then it ended up working and I had it so it runs on 9-volt battery too. It's Whoa. like, a, it's still a little pocket. Do you still have this? I still have it, yeah. Uh, I have a big tote uh, called the the Luxton Pedal Playground in my basement for like, <laughs> if I have to like produce like guitar tracks or something, it's all these weird guitar pedals and I can do some things and the uh, little guitar amp thing is tucked safely in the in the bottom and it's I love your holistic wonder. approach so I want to be a rock star but I also want to produce it and I'm going to build the gear to produce the rock star <laughs> yeah well, that's next level ambitious and my ambition's probably always been far exceeding of my talent <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. that's, that's part of the equation where you want to go 
So was Metalworks part of an apprenticeship or part of your schooling? Like, how did that fit into the formal education part? So it was a formal school. So it was a private career college. And then uh, the whole appeal to going to Metalworks was that you get the Pro Tools certification. You you get your Pro Tools one-on-one is what it was at the time. I don't even know if they're still doing the certifications, but it went up to like 310. And uh, so you could do, that's your expert in music production. Um, And they're pretty expensive courses, but they paid for it when I graduated. So I did it. And it was really... uh, I know more about Pro Tools than I probably need to know to to operate mm-hmm. it. Um, and I probably don't use all that information unless there's a fire to put out. You know, if it's not working, I know how to like maybe modify it. But between that and uh, my technological uh, interest in soldering and stuff, I took that to the studio in Oakville. That's where I was kind of going, kind of going back on track here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was an intern there. And uh, there were some issues. The Pro Tools thing wasn't set up right. It wasn't calibrated right. And there was some soldering that needed to be done on the patch bay. And I was like, hey, let me do this. I'll rewire it for you. It was like, I got to nothing but time, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, And so I did it. And by the time I rewired his uh, patch bay and reset up a whole bunch of gear and uh, recalibrated the inputs on his uh, HDIO at the time, uh, he was like, I should probably pay this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up being an engineer there and I ended up, being like uh, the head engineer for a while and kind of helping manage the bookings and stuff, uh, which was it was a pretty cool, pretty cool gig. Um, in the meantime, I was also uh, interning and assisting at Metalworks too, so I was kind of going between the two places. And I played in like three bands in uh, Mississauga as well, which was uh, I don't think I ever slept. Yeah, I was <laughs> like thinking I was, this is a busy time. It was, but I don't think it's ever really slowed down. It's mm. uh, um, I've got. I think pretty severe um, undiagnosed ADHD, mm-hmm. and it's 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 fine. It's like it's not to an extent where um, it keeps me from getting anything done. It's more so the opposite. I get like super hyper focused and fixated on like a goal, and I just won't sleep until I've accomplished it or come to that next step closer to it. Mm-hmm. What is that thing right now in your life? Jeez, right now in my life. There are so many <laughs> things that I'm trying to uh, keep moving forward, um, but really the like the I like to read sci-fi, and I'm trying to get through this book series uh, called The Expanse, which is uh, phenomenal, um, and I'm trying to get that behind me. So like I'll like sit down and read like 200 pages, and then put it away, mm. and then come back to it. Yeah. Mm. It's a and nine book series. It's your done. personal goal. This is just a quest that you yeah, are on. It, it started as like uh, I hadn't read anything other than technical reference documents in years and so uh, a friend of mine Ed Woodsworth gave me these books he's like I need them out of my house I read them too many times and they're really good you're gonna like them and I was like all right cool and I picked one up and it was like I'd get it do it so I could fall asleep because like work and life were stressful and it's like so I needed like an escape and uh, and after like the first couple times of cracking the spine on the book I just couldn't put it down and now I'm on book nine of the series and this is like three months ago (laughs) that I got the books Wow. Yeah, it's a... And this is a lot of reading in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to having it behind me so I can... <laughs> <laughs> so you're working at these studios and you're still 1920. Yeah. What uh, comes next? So then I uh, I recorded uh, an EP with my buddy uh, in that group, Sunday Sounds Good. And uh, we uh, decided to hit the road to Nova Scotia. And, uh, so I was, uh, at the time I had talked about like 
just taking a break because it was exhausting like being like in the city for a number of years and uh, um just playing music interning there was times where i would be going to one studio at 10 o'clock in the morning and leaving at two o'clock in the morning you know the next day because it's just mm-hmm. like you're there if there's multiple sessions on you're jumping from session to session you're cleaning up this one you're getting ready for whatever um which was great a lot of really cool learning opportunities and i got to work alongside some world-class engineers and producers that uh, i still like hear their voice in the back of my head when i'm making decisions um but there's also like there's a point where you kind of get burnt out you know it's like okay where am i going to go from this what am i going to do am i going to monetize it is this going to just be like a passion uh, that i'm really into and am i going to start like a career you know you think about all those those things even at a young age of like 19 20 um but i was like nah i'm gonna be a rock star i got offered a job to work doing pro tools uh, like spotting for uh, television doing post-production stuff and it would have paid really well and i would have probably had a really large pension contribution already <laughs> but uh, i was like nah man i'm gonna do music and i recorded this ep and thought i was gonna get famous and we toured out to nova scotia um our motorhome broke down and we had like some commitments booked and so uh now, at this time, I was still doing remote work for the studio. Even then, this is like 2013, 2014. I was still doing some like editing remote, uh, like for, um, like there was a commercial I was working on for like a hearing aid company. And there was a couple other artists that I was working with uh, in terms of editing, remoting, remote editing or composing a guitar part. Or even there was one where I did uh, some songwriting. They had like a guitar part that was kind of half flushed out and I chopped it into a song and uh, then wrote lyrics and melody for him and sent it back to them. Actually a song I think I'll probably end up releasing on my next uh, record. They're cool with it. It's a pretty, nice. pretty nice song. Um, but yeah, so we came out East and we, we didn't become super famous like we, <laughs> like we thought we would, but we, uh, we did sell a lot of CDs and, uh, uh lose a motor home and, uh, <laughs> get a booking agent. We got signed up with, uh, there's a booking agent in Nova Scotia, Marcel, uh, uh, oh, uh, he was my booking agent at one point in an old band. Yeah, Talent uh, Source, right? Yeah, uh, he has a bunch of frogs in his office. I remember that's I, the only thing I remember about him. I, like... I never went to his office, but uh, <laughs> we we just we met. He saw us playing at the Split Crow or somewhere, and was yeah. like, "I could book you guys," and he booked us all over. So we we're like, "All right, our motorhome's broken down. We can get all these bookings. We have other bookings that are confirmed. We should probably stay true to that if we ever want to come back to Nova Scotia." Yeah. We got an apartment on Barrington Street right above Boneheads, mm-hmm. uh, which was dangerous in itself because, like, so much pulled pork. A lot of barbecue. Man. Yeah, a lot of barbecue was great uh, and, like, bad for us, but mm-hmm. delicious. I highly recommend Boneheads. Uh, and so we were playing a lot. We, we played all over Nova Scotia uh, doing, like, covers and original music. And, again, still thought we were going to be famous, even though we never did. And then they moved back. I met uh, my now wife, uh, Christina, and uh, I was like, ah, you know what? Uh, Nova Scotia is pretty cool. I'm going to hang my hat yeah. here for a bit. And I still did some uh, remote work for the studio. And then I started teaching uh, private lessons through Best Buy, of all places, in Bayers Lake. They had a music uh, department there that they were trying to pilot. Huh. And uh, so I ran the lesson center there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was cool. It was interesting. I did that for, I don't even, I don't even know how long. But yeah, so I was kind of helping sell guitars like it was like two years and then i decided to go back to school i was like i need to step up my music production chops by improving my musicality and then i went back to school uh and did my where did you go to school 
I uh, did uh, my degree in music performance at Humber College. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty... That's a big school. It is, yeah. It's a, it took me two tries to get in. Right, it's it's like really jazz based. Yeah, what's that like? I wanted to ask you about if you auditioned or what's the application process like for a school like that. It was intense. It was an audition application first, and then you you get an opportunity at an audition. But I remember both times I went, like there was like they'd have two weeks book solid of auditions. They would all be the guitar faculty auditions on the, those days, and they would go from like eight till four. And uh, they would have like eight different guitar teachers auditioning the students. So like there's like hundreds to thousands of students auditioning for the the program. And uh, they record every single one. You have to have all your like scales, arpeggios together, do some sight reading. And then you have to jam a jazz standard with the like this world-class guitar player. And like it was for me, the first time I auditioned, it was like the head of the guitar department that I got, and I just choked up so hard. Like I never really played jazz. I was a rock and roll guitar player and a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. That was like, I still consider myself a singer-songwriter before, uh, more like a songwriter. I don't even want to say singer, but songwriter over everything is kind of like my main passion. And uh, going into this, I was not ready to jam with this guy. He was like from another planet. He was so good. <laughs> and uh yeah, I choked hard. And so I had to go back the next year and I worked on some stuff that I knew I didn't have together and I knew what to expect. What did you do to get ready? Like watch Rocky montages? <laughs> yeah, pretty well exclusively. <laughs> no, I uh, I reached out to a member of the community, the music community, who uh, I really respected as a guitar player. I, I recommend anybody who like wants to really get good at their instrument or like go jam with somebody who is already doing the thing that you want to do mm-hmm. and kind of learn by mm-hmm. osmosis and just like there's so much you can learn online there's so much you can learn from books but uh, there's like a certain amount of magic that happens when you're in the room with somebody that's already doing it and you can like some of that just like i don't know if it's spiritual or what but there's something that just kind of resonates within you as a musician and so i i got some uh, one-on-one lessons but we just we played through tunes and that's what i needed i didn't have experience playing in that style with another musician if you don't have the confidence you don't have the time feel and you don't have uh, the necessary ingredients to be successful in an audition like that so yeah yeah, it was overwhelming though and the second time it went way better i was way more prepared i had songs that i knew i could play they were in my wheelhouse like I knew I wasn't like a crazy jazz guitar player, uh, but I knew that I could hold on to a couple simpler tunes and just show them that like, yeah, I can, I can learn this if you give me a shot. And you, know? you got in. I got in. Um, and yeah, it was an intense four years. Yeah. It was, uh, there were some students there, like there was one 18 year old who had been like playing guitar since he was like four. And like, there was some really heavy jazz musicians in the program. And you're just like, I had to practice like four to six hours a day to even keep up. It was like, it was a lot. Like when I was done my degree, I was just like, maybe I need a break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to like take a break from this and just kind of reevaluate what it is I'm trying to accomplish. I don't need to be uh, the best guitar player on the planet, nor would I ever come close to accomplishing that. Just want to write like music that's accessible and fulfilling, you know? Well, I recently mastered an album for Aaron McDonald. Oh yeah. And it's a live album and he he sent me the songs and I was working on them like frig the 
Greg sounds great on that. Uh, Greg Favreau usually <laughs> plays with him. Yeah, yeah. Greg and, is great. And he's like, oh, no, uh, there was a snowstorm. Oh, no, he got sick, I yeah, think. He got sick, yeah. Like, Greg got sick. And he's like, uh, like, well, who's playing? He's like, well, I asked Steve Luxton to fill in that day. Yeah. And he said, you never even heard the songs. No, I was learning them as we went. Yeah, just kind of. You know, and I'm like, that's. That's world class to be able to fill in and do that. Oh, like, thanks. Yeah. The, like, because it's all, you're playing all lead stuff on there and that's like pretty complex stuff that you're playing and to not have heard the songs before, I was blown away by that. And I wanted to say this on air, but that's very, very impressive. So you, and I knew you played guitar and, and I think I just heard you more as like singer songwriter. But to, to to be able to fill in like that on short notice without knowing the songs is incredible. Oh well, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was super fun, and I think there is there is a magic uh, that comes when you don't know the song. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it sounds like it, maybe you have to listen to it more. I feel like uh, I was really trying to follow the melody because, like, a lot of the stuff that you do as an instrumentalist, uh, whenever you're educated for better or worse, is you find the harmony and you follow the harmony and you try and outline that. Uh, but if you're the harmony's coming by quick and things are changing, uh, like you don't really know exactly where the chords are going to go because the, the songwriters can throw curveballs. So for me, like the, the trick would be to like find the melody and kind of have like a sense like, okay, he's kind of in this key, but the melody shape is doing this and it's kind of like ebbing and flowing and just try and stay out of its way but then be ready for that like breath he takes to kind of like contribute and bounce mm -hmm. something back. Yeah. There's just something to do with the uh, listening a little closer whenever you have no clue what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, that, that, that cat talking about uh, capturing the moment like that was the perfect example of that. Like you two jamming for the very first time is recorded and released as an album. Which is spooky, but it's yeah. also, it was super fun. And Aaron is such a talented songwriter. Yeah. Like, I love, I love his songs. He's a, and he's such a nice, welcoming yeah. person as well. So I don't know. It was just a, it was an opportunity that I'm glad that I jumped on. Yeah. And I'm hoping we get a chance to do it again because it was, uh, it was super fun. Oh, I, I'm very impressed by that. Were you learning songwriting while you were in school as well, or, or just primarily your instrument was the focus? Just primarily the instrument. So the first two years are kind of like jazz boot camp at uh, at Humber. Uh, it's, that's the way it was anyways when I was there. Um, you can do like pop arranging and, and such, uh, but you do courses in ear training and music theory and stuff. Um, and uh, in the third and fourth year, you get to be a little more creative and kind of explore um, composition and arranging. I was trying to take advantage of the fact that I was around a whole bunch of world-class horn players mm -hmm. uh, that I might not uh, be around anytime soon. So I took a whole bunch of like folk songs that I was writing and I arranged them for like a 10-piece horn band. And I was like, all right, let's see if we can funkify a couple of these songs. And I, I did them for uh, for our recitals. I never released any of it, but uh, uh, maybe someday yeah, I will. That's fun. Yeah, yeah it was super fun. Yeah, that. 10-piece yeah. horn band. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was a really cool experience, actually. Um, but yeah, it's not, not so much in the way of songwriting, more so, uh, song analysis and, uh, arranging techniques and stuff, which, which was helpful. What is Humber essentially training people to be coming out? Is it more like session musicians, like to be able to fill in with any band out there or what's, what, what were you hoping to get out of it yourself? Yeah, I guess I kind of, I went into it 
with the two twofold uh, goals or two goals in mind. One was uh, I did want to teach and I wanted to teach at a high level. I wanted to teach yeah. I, like I had taught a fair amount and uh, like the foundational lessons are super important. Um, but it's, it's tough to teach people that at that level aren't really interested in the comeback and not really prepared and stuff. And that, that's fine. Like you're going to get that. There's some people that get a guitar and like, that's cool. Uh, but for me, I wanted to teach people that were like passionate about it. I yeah. wanted to get fired up with them because like, there's something about that passion that'll, uh, it snowball and make you more passionate about what you're doing. And you just get excited when people are excited about it. So I, I figured teaching like post-secondary, uh, would be, uh, a way to keep that momentum going and so you need the piece of paper you need your bachelor's degree at least yeah. to uh to do that so i was like okay i'll do this and uh, but that was one goal and then the other goal was just to spend four years playing music with uh, some amazing musicians and uh, just develop as much as i can but like what are yeah. what are my limits physically on the instrument and what walls have i been ignoring as a musician which was probably the most like invaluable thing for me was doing like all the ear training uh, i didn't realize how much i needed to train my musical ear and i'm still training it and like i notice when i take a day off from not trying to uh, uh improve it in some way shape or form it's just uh yeah i don't know if they're like maybe at one point they were a session musician farm you know trying to get people to be mm -hmm. uh, session players but now i think they, they've kind of shifted even since i went there they're doing less of uh Less of like the jazz kind of like force feed and more uh, open to, to whatever. Um, but there is a lot of like jazz harmony and stuff that's still uh, important in the curriculum. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like your relationship to your instrument is a reflection of your relationship to yourself? And what I mean by that is you've talked about pushing some of your boundaries or knowing what walls you're pushing up against in learning that. Do you feel that way about yourself and the way you live your life day to day? I do. I, I don't know. Uh, my relationship with my instrument would be, I think, separate from my relationship with myself, hopefully, because some days I hate my <laughs> instrument. You know what I mean? Uh, no, but uh, I do think that uh, learning an instrument or any craft, really, like it, it, could be, uh, it could be painting, it could be pottery, it could be sketching, anything that is constantly uh, inspiring you to push your current uh, limits in some way shape or form or to expand your toolkit uh, i think that is super valuable uh, to the human experience and i think that uh, my instrument has taught me a lot about the things that i value in life i guess in that way and uh, taught me how to be self-regimented and uh, develop uh, in small increments and learn new things so i guess there, there's definitely a lot i've learned from it outside of music yeah. uh, but uh, yeah I don't know if my relationship with it is the same as myself when you were at Humber how important do you think it was to be around people that were better than yourself I think uh, yeah I think I think it's important for sure and I think uh, just be careful what better than yourself means i think is the thing mm -hmm. that i would say because uh, there are some people that are really good at certain things that you never want to do with your music yeah. and maybe hanging with them is just going to make you feel deflated for me it was more about finding like a really good hang people that were interested in developing themselves learning some of the stuff that we're doing in school and expanding on it but also like keeping it honest and true about what they want to do or just like 
just good hang, you know, like to me, it's a, it's all like music is a communal thing. It's a, yeah. and I, I have way more fun playing music with other people than I do uh, playing by myself. And uh, I find that a lot of the personality you get from somebody in a room chatting with them is a lot of the same personality you'll get out of their instrument. And if somebody's no fun because they're so good uh, to hang out with, you know, that it's like, it's no fun to play with them either. It's yeah. like, it, and you saw that too. Like you saw it, like there were some amazing people that had um, maybe a chip on their shoulder because you weren't as good at that one thing as them, you know? And I kind of, I in, in hindsight, feel bad for them. It's like, you're missing out on some like really cool friends and opportunities, you know, if you, if you have that mentality. Yeah where uh, there were some people that were really great hangs and they maybe weren't as good at the jazz thing at the start. And if that's what they were interested in, by the end of the school, they were just as good as those other people that were already good when they got there. Mm. But they got to develop immensely and make some lasting memories with some really good friends, you know? And just playing music in general, like I'd say definitely one of the most important things is just being able to get along with other people. Totally. Like you don't have to be the best at your instrument. You have to be competent, obviously, and willing to improve and get better. But if you're amazing and not fun or people don't like you, like there's no point in being good at all. Yeah. You could say that for most jobs, really. Yeah. I remember being given that advice. My younger self was given this advice of if you can get along socially in groups of people, that is going to be one of the top skills no matter what career pursuit yeah. you take yeah i'd like to ask you about your teaching style now okay yeah yeah and so you're teaching at nova scotia community college yep. in cape breton we because we have the benefit of all being artists know the importance of things like being present we talked about capturing this moment in time maybe being mindful how much leverage do you have in inserting that part of the creative process into your studies it's tough. I mean, we we uh, we got a curriculum that we that we follow, and it's a it's a pretty awesome curriculum. You're a graduate of NSCC and Ivany, right? I took the recording program. Recording yeah. program, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty cool initiative that the college is doing, and it's we're we're not really trying to uh, force anybody to do any kind of music in particular. We're just kind of showing like this is the basic mechanics of the things that go into these different styles of music, and you can kind of use them how how you like. In a way, I just get to bring some of that childish wonder to the classroom. Like I'm, I'm very much a big kid at heart, and mm. uh, when I get into talking about like music or Pro Tools or something that I'm like super excited about, it's just kind of like I, I kind of tap into that childish wonder and just like look at how awesome this is. And uh, sometimes my my students are just kind of like rolling their eyes, like <laughs> okay, Steve. And, like especially when I get excited about spreadsheets. I don't know about you guys, but I, <laughs> but I like to like, keep things organized. Like if because I'm so scattered, if I don't have like a organizational system in place, I'll never get anything done. Mm -hmm. I need I need checklists and I need like a solid calendar and I need to just make sure like everything's color coded. <laughs> Otherwise, I everything all falls apart mm. and so like, i'll get excited about spreadsheets and like look at how organized you can be <laughs> <laughs> or aspire to be at least you know yeah. it's kind of a moving target do you observe any consistencies in your students of things that they really want to learn from you yeah i think a lot of people are interested in the recording side of things you know and uh, i think i think it's important uh, the many hats comment from earlier yeah. i think it is very true you need to be able to uh 
maybe not necessarily operate everything at a high level. I don't think everybody needs to be a recording engineer. I kind of feel like if everybody was a recording engineer, nobody would be a really good recording engineer. Mm. So it's kind of nice to have people that uh, specialize in that. But with the technology that we have at our disposal, uh, we can do a lot of work at home, learn what it is we like or that we're trying to capture. And maybe we can't capture at home because we haven't spent tons of money on the gear. But having a know-how and a vocabulary that you can communicate with a professional and describe what it is you like or don't like about uh, your product that you're currently making is super, super important. It'll save you a lot of time, save you a lot of money, a lot of guesswork. And then the business classes as well. I mean, not every student is really into the business side of things. Some people just, they want to make esoteric, like art, mm-hmm. uh, art music. And that's cool too. Like go for it. And uh, maybe your business model is to not have a business model and just kind of play in the right circles. I don't, I don't know. But if you're fulfilled, I'm cool with that. Mm. We have had some students that have really latched onto the business side of things and uh, are doing some really incredible things now. Uh, Nick McDonald was uh, a former student. He just won emerging uh, professional, industry professional at uh, Nova Scotia Music Awards. great. And he was one of your students? He was one of my students, yeah. So I taught him in his second year. Uh, He was a phenomenal student. And you talk about great, uh, great hang. He was always really polite and enjoyable to be around. So uh, that's going to take him far, you know, just being professional, organized, interested in the business side of things, but also really easy to get along with. Yeah. And we've had other students that are really interested in in the business side of things too. It it really depends. And the thing is it it has like our program's got to like a threefold. We are trying to get everybody aware of all the different things that, uh, because there's so many different paths in the music industry and there's so many different Mm -hmm. revenue streams and you can latch onto certain ones and really uh, use them to your advantage if they are in your wheelhouse. So we're just trying to expose them to as much as many options as possible, right? And just have them prepared to maybe uh, investigate that further afterwards, um, either at another post-secondary institute, like a university that we've got accommodation agreements with other uh, universities that they could go to afterwards. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. It's a student-by-student basis. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing because it allows them to express their individual interests. And Mike, you were a guest speaker, were you not, I was, at one yeah. of these classes? Yeah, last year we came in and... It was awesome. It was great. The students really enjoyed it. It was great, yeah. yeah. I like being around people where where I don't have to be thinking, like, oh, why do I think this way? It just comes out naturally. Like, this is what I've been doing for so long that I don't have to think about why, why I do this or what the answer to this question is because it's just so obvious to me because that's all I all I really know. So it was nice to be in front of these young kids who were just at the very start of their whole journey into this and and they were there's lots of questions, lots of curious minds there and it would be interesting to see where they all end up. And were you wearing the hat of musician or sound engineer or a range of questions? That's kind of a big thing that I talked about is that it is a really good thing in this industry to wear multiple hats again we'll we'll keep this analogy going yeah where like i i explained how i make money from different things like playing live and then i'm recording someone or i'm mixing a song or i'm producing a podcast for someone else or whatever whatever it may be and of course there's going to be people who find one thing and that that's all they do and they can put all their energy on that. But me as a musician who's not working a side job, I've I've found that it's 
very important for me to have these different little things all involved in music right and ultimately all the same skill set a little little bit different in some cases but it just putting to use what i know and trying to make a living from it and it was more just talking about yeah the different ways that you can and there's like some very simple questions like do you make money from streaming or whatever it may be sure just trying to show that it can be done. Like it's, you don't have to be selling out stadiums to, to survive in, in this world. And well, you're both examples of that right now in this yeah. room. We, we talked earlier about how there's many different paths in the music industry. There's, there's a lot of ways that people survive in the, in this world and not many are alike. Yeah. There's new paths emerging every day yeah. too that's the thing is like if you can stay aware of trends that are happening you know the, the shifting tides yeah um every change is an opportunity you know and it's just being aware of what's happening right now allows you to kind of guess at what's going to happen tomorrow well it's interesting you raise that because before we started recording we were talking about sort of this phasing out of radio, uh, t television, I imagine, has experienced the same thing. Print mm. media, this is happening across the board. And we were surmising as to why that might be the case, be it just because there's more digital opportunities out there, things like YouTube, even just Instagram Live. Like, there's there's all kinds of that. And trustworthiness of news, we also spoke about. But with that in mind, what what new trends are you seeing emerge or new opportunities or what direction do you see the industry going in? Yeah, it's tough to say. I wouldn't, I mean, there's some things that I know really well about the music industry and there's some things that uh, I still like, I would lean on other people's experience uh, just because my experience is pretty like uh, tunnel vision. But one thing that I do think over the last couple of years has become a larger uh, uh, opportunity is the idea of like house concerts. Like I know they've been around, but I feel like, House concerts have really taken an uptick in popularity and like the side door application yeah. is definitely an example We've of that. We've had Laura Simpson on who's created side door. So yeah. So that's, yeah. A, it, that's a prime example of opportunity and like side doors would be a great opportunity to find a venue and like you can to find a show. There's lots of things you can do with it, but there's also the idea is now in people's minds and you could have your own house concerts you could do it at your house or maybe somebody else's house somebody's got a place you know and uh, these kind of like small scale events where it's kind of like right from farm to table so to speak you know like you're it's they're almost like mini farmers markets for musicians and it's kind of like a really interesting uh, niche of performance opportunity that does give the audience members a unique experience like again for example the one at uh, adam young's house uh, that uh, aaron and i were part yeah. of it was a really intimate experience and we probably wouldn't have played the exact same way or the same, uh, with the same dynamics or the same nuance had it been a larger crowd. You know, it was just like, I think yeah. we were, we were bouncing off one another, but we were also bouncing off that in the intimacy of the room and just being in like a, a casual environment. I think it kind of comes across a little relaxed in the recordings because of that. So yeah, I don't know. It's a, I find, yeah, house concerts would be something that I think, to, to look into and it's something that artists at any stage can uh, really capitalize on you know you can just start your own opportunity by doing it you know inside door again would be a great opportunity to like see how they're doing it and maybe try and jump in on that action yeah, yeah that's a great example and and definitely am observing that and the success of side door like mm -hmm. they're just constantly growing and traveling they were all they were all work so hard too but 
And it's it's funny thinking about it's always neat to see a huge band in a big venue and there's something about that environment as well. But some of the most memorable shows I've been to have been in these intimate or obscure environments. So an unlikely venue is something that I would like to see more of for for shows in the future. Are you guys you guys are doing shows at the art gallery? at my gallery? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing too. So that's like a, I mean, it's not a not a house concert, but it is essentially is. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's it's like a, it's a really cool atmosphere, right? It's like one of those yeah. one of those things. It's like you're seeing music in like a unique, but like art filled. There's probably an I've never been, but I imagine it's got like an energy, like a, an inspirational energy in that yeah. room. That you're not going to get at a pub with people drinking. I just got and... goosebumps you saying that because yeah. that, that's the thing. That's the thing about it is you're completely immersed in creativity. I mean, you're in a gallery. There's literally art surrounding you. But I, I hear so often everything that we do there, people comment on how it feels in the space. And, and maybe you'd get that same feedback at a big stadium show too, but... Being the host of that type of event, it feels like there's not a higher compliment to be shared or heard than for somebody to compliment you on how a space feels. And so, yeah, we take a lot of pride in that. It's a magical space. and We've got four shows lined up for this year already, so that's that's enough. Like, oh, yeah, you can't do sure. it all the time and expect for it to feel that way every time. Yeah, either. I mean, I'm sure it would still have some... Like there would still be that a little bit of that passion in the room. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But yeah, there's also something special about doing something uh, uh, a limited number of times as well. It ex- becomes exclusive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it drives up interest, if anything else. Yeah, but uh, yeah. It also, yeah, becomes more of a moment. How do you both feel about the venue that you're in? Like how important is that to your experience as the performer? Well, nothing can make your heart sink quicker than walking into a shitty venue mm. with unfriendly staff yeah it's un- unfriendly staff would be a big part like if you feel yeah. like you're just kind of an inconvenience which right. I, I feel like you got that a little bit at the beginning of your performance career and you kind of learn how to uh, again socialize with them and like set the pace uh, you got to yeah. kind of go in ready to like not defuse a bomb but go in there ready to just like turn on the charm a little bit when yeah. you first walk in the door you know <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say because like it's something that you're passionate about, but they're just they're working their Thursday and Friday night. You right. Know? They're uh, they they want to go home and watch Netflix yeah. or, or whatever. They don't want to be at work. Mm. You know. Yeah. There's obviously playing a good gig is one of the most amazing things in the world. Where you just feel like you're on a on a level very few humans have ever reached before. <laughs> but but playing a bad gig is pretty pretty bad too like it's it's the opposite end of the spectrum where you just feel you you question everything you, oh, you're yeah. doing like what, <laughs> what did the, i do with the last 20 years of my yeah. life <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah i try to avoid those i mean typically those are the ones that you're doing like uh, for me anyways they've been like more cover based gigs yeah. where i'm like i'm going there and i'm kind of grinding it out because i absolutely need the money you know and it's like uh i don't know there's like a, i don't know if that's me manifesting negativity by being like oh i need this money so i gotta go do this show like when i was in school at humber i was playing like i pretty well paid my bills just by i mean i did a little bit of bartending at the Rex and do some sound and stuff but 
I played a lot of like solo acoustic cover gigs at pubs, some that were like really interested and some that were mm-hmm. super uninterested. And yeah, like those other ones, like the one, the bad ones, you go home just like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like, oh man, like I played that song I didn't even want to play and nobody liked it. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? an icky feeling. Uh, but I remember a few years back, and yeah, band gigs for me and playing with, with my band, the Town Heroes, are, we're at a point where they're all at a pretty good level where we're, we're making a x amount of money that's that's what we're and we're happy with that but the the solo gigs for for the money are definitely i know what you're saying there are the the hard ones at times and i kind of got away from them the last couple of years and and some of them are amazing too like so surprising doesn't mean they're all bad or anything but i remember playing a gig at a pub in bedford and no, there was hardly anyone there. No one gave a shit. And the night before I played, um, the did the last waltz at the marquee in Halifax and did, I did Helpless by Neil Young. And the second I opened my mouth, 700 people in the room started screaming. Like, they're just going yeah. nuts. And I uh, can do a pretty good Neil Young. I won't, won't lie. And, uh, and then at this show... Like I played, I think I played an original song off the bat and then I uh, said, okay, I'm going to play helpless. Like, cause at the, at one point in the song, I do this vocal part. I'm just at the top of my range and it's like, it all usually gets a very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, big eruption from the audience. And my goal was to get this one lady sitting at the table (laughs) to at least turn sideways. She didn't even have to look at me. She just had a, like recognize that there was someone playing music in the crowd and i belted that the best i ever sang it in my life just as much power as i could put out there and she just kept eating her her uh egg rolls or whatever she was into <laughs> there didn't even notice i was there and like oh yeah this is there's yeah. there's something about having like a really good gig and then going to your next gig and it kind of like not living up to it though. <laughs> I, I had that happen in October. I got a really cool opportunity to go on the road with Classic Albums Live. Yeah, yeah. And that was like, a, I got the call two days before we left pretty well and I didn't really know any Fleetwood Mac music. So I do like two songs and I didn't play on them. Uh, Seems th- like a songs. pattern for you. Yeah, so I was just, I'm, I'm a yes man and I like, I like a challenge. I mean, I, I kind of know my limits and this one was pretty close to my limits. But uh, I just on the it was, it was like a six hour drive for the first uh, trip to uh, Saint not Saint John it was in Fredericton first from from Cape Breton it was a good drive so I was charting out the songs the whole way I carpooled up with my friend Abby and uh, yeah and it was an amazing tour we did five nights back to back pretty well um, at soft cedar venues of like seven hundred people or more. And the last night we were at St. John at the Imperial Theater. You ever yeah, played the Imperial yeah, Theater? Beautiful. Oh, one of the nicest theaters yeah. I've ever been in, let alone played at. And it was just, it was completely sold out, like to the rafters full. And uh, we played, uh, I forget, I think our encore tune was Rhiannon. We played it as an, as an encore. And whenever we started playing that boom, bam, bam, down, 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 down everybody was like screaming you could feel the sound waves from their voices just like trying to knock you over like yeah. a hurricane and then uh, the day after i got back i played at 
a small pub in Bedeck and there was like four people there. <laughs> and I was just like, I was almost just like, oh man, what a shock to the you system. You should have saw me last night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you bastards. Yeah, doing leg kicks to try and get them to look. You know, but yeah, it was, yeah, anyways, it's, it's oh, funny. It's, it's a little heartbreaking. It really is. Because I know those gigs that you're talking about and yeah, you, t- you do them because you got to, but. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. And it, it's, I still, they can still be really fun. And you, you, if you get one, you connect with one person in yeah. the audience, it's successful. You know, to me, if I can get one person that's like really into it, cool. I'm happy. Yeah. You're having a good time. I'm having a good time. It's a good practice. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, I, I treat those as a paid practice. And, and like you're saying, if you can connect with one person, like I'll start telling stories and I'll ask anyone celebrating anything out there. <laughs> like I'm just going for a conversation and usually pretty much happens all the time, but that elite definitely that one I was referencing earlier, nothing happened. And that was, that's a rare thing though. Yeah. You know, you don't get that as often, I think later on in your, yeah. in your career. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just know that they're out there so you don't do them. <laughs> yeah. And the only time these days that I like playing by myself, like solo, would be like at like a songwriter circle. You know, like it, it's always nice to share the stage with some friends, maybe noodle a little bit together, but like hear their stories and like that kind of setting. Yeah. Because you still have that communal aspect. Like even those paid gigs, like the cover gigs, if you're doing that duo with somebody, at least you have the camaraderie or like that, like, okay, we can laugh about how yeah. awful this is together uh, on the way. But when you're doing it by yourself, it just feels so heavy, mm. you know? Yeah. Well, Steve, I'd like to wrap up by asking you about Nova Scotia. So I know you've lived here for a long time, but what was it about here? I know that you've met your now wife and that may have been a big part of the reason that you stuck around, but what is it about Nova Scotia that you decided to make this place home? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's a a lot of things, but uh, I think it comes down to it is like the music is such a big part of like my personal culture now it's kind of it's really like educated or not it's a big part of who i am and what i do and what inspires me to get up in the morning and it's just it's a big part of life uh and i found that in nova scotia it's just kind of enriched into the, i don't know the, the blood of nova scotians that like music is important like when i grew up uh so the place I lived along was Wyoming. It was a great spot. Some of my best friends, I still have a lot of really close friends down in uh, Southern Ontario. But like I was maybe one of two or three people that played guitar for like a 30 minute drive. And uh, like the, there wasn't really anybody to play music with. It wasn't as important, you know, uh, where uh, in Cape Breton, especially uh, it's, it's super important. Like everybody plays music as part of the culture and just like that to, uh, that sense of uh, cultural identity, uh, I, I think it's it, it's important. You know, it's 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 special, and the people care for one another. It's a little less synonymous as living in a city. Um, Halifax is a great spot too. I really do love Halifax, and uh, had things gone a little differently, we probably could have ended up living in Halifax as well. But uh, just Nova Scotia has got a strong musical culture, and uh, it's just people are right on. You know, they're down to earth and friendly, and uh, yeah, they take pride in not being anonymous. Like they want to hold the door for you where you hold the door for somebody in Toronto and they're kind of like, what's wrong with that guy? Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. you know what I mean? I don't yeah, know. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'm the. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. There's just, well, we, we experienced the, the wildfires out here the start of last summer. We were evacuated and pretty, 
Within the day of being out of our house, the support we we got from from people around here, from all throughout the province, was just so overwhelmingly positive and amazing that we realized like this this wouldn't happen anywhere else. Like, yeah, you don't get that, you know. Uh, so it's it's really like in community. So that's a big part of it too. Is uh, I. But, I think the most important things in my life, probably in this order, would be uh, family, like my wife and my daughter and our baby that's on the way. Uh, those oh, are congrats! Oh, thanks! Mm, yeah, yeah, we're really excited. In April, uh, we're expecting so. So soon. soon. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, but uh, those are to me the that's the most important part of my life. And a lot of things I do, I do for them, and I do that in mind. Even my artistic endeavors, when I am kind of like hard on myself about something, it's like, well, what would I want my daughter to do? And so I try and like push through some of that negative self-talk just to be a good example. Uh, and then the second most important thing would be community. I think uh, being in a community and being around other people and helping them and then having them help you and not being uh, shy about it, that's super, super important. Um, and then, then then music. But I feel like uh, my wife's got a lot of family connection to, to Cape Breton. And uh, so it's important to be close to family. So Number one, checks. Two, there's such a strong sense of community. You don't have to be from anywhere in particular, but people, even in our neighbor, neighborhood, we have a really nice neighborhood. They're super community focused. Like somebody, when we first uh, moved in that winter, we'd never talked to them before, but uh, my wife was, was pregnant. She was expecting, and uh, they saw that like we were busy and she's running around. They'd just come over and plow our driveway for us. Like never even chatted with them. To this day, I haven't. I should have by now, but uh, <laughs> but... They know, and I know, we're, we're neighbors, you know, and if they ever needed something from me, they would come knock on the door and they know they'd be able to get it. And uh, there's like that really strong sense of community there and uh, super, super important. And then, like I said, the musical culture in in Nova Scotia. So it kind of checked all the boxes for me. Wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. We're glad you're in Nova Scotia. We're glad you're you're here. And glad that you happen to be in Halifax for yeah. a songwriter circle. You got a gig and we're tonight, able to come yeah. to the studio. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heading to the Carlton uh, with uh, Abby Molendor, Tyler Molendor, and then Thomas Stasier. Tom's an old nice. old buddy. Love Tom. He's a great songwriter. Do you guys know Tom? I don't. Yeah, just from like being around Music Week and stuff and Never, uh, don't know him super well, but yeah, he seems like a great dude. World-class engineer, stand-up dude, fantastic songwriter. Yeah. Great guy. Looking forward to hanging yeah. with him. I don't get to hang with him as much now. We used to play in a band together in Halifax called, oh, the, yeah. called the Yardies. Okay. We recorded a live off the floor record and we never released it. I think he, he did master it for me for, as a wedding present. He stood, he stood at my wedding and, uh, I, uh. Don't know where it is. I think it was on like Dropbox, and then my Dropbox got full or oh. something. I'm gonna try and get it from him though. Yeah. But uh, get that and the horn recording. Oh yeah, like yeah. To we'll hear find both it. of those. Yeah, yeah. I'll, maybe <laughs> I'll send them to you privately. Okay. Be <laughs> <laughs> our secret. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is, is great. Great to hang with you guys. Yeah, you got a beautiful spot. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And look forward to all the things you have on the go and. We'd, I'd love to come back and talk to the class again at some point. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen. Maybe in the yeah. new campus next year. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, we're, right. we've got a whole new like curriculum starting next year, too. Yeah. We're shifting to more like songwriting in particular oh, nice. for a focus. So, uh, yeah, you can come in and talk about your process. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it happen for sure. Sweet. It's definitely yeah. fruitful for us.
Well, uh, best of luck tonight and in, in all that's ahead and with the, the, the new baby on the way, too. Oh, yeah. It'll Lots be good. going on in this man's life. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like the way that you've always lived, though. So. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's ever slowed down. It's yeah. just changed, you know? So that's life. Yeah. Well, thanks for making time for us today. Oh, we geez. really appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime, yeah. You guys, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Cheers, right buddy. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Don't walk away Don't walk away